Thank you, Dr. Jim. If you'll open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians 3. We're going to continue our series called Enduring Hope. We're going to do that one more week, and then we're going to do a couple of Christmas messages, and then we'll get back into this after the first of the year. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. The title of the message today is Really Living. Really Living. Christmas time. It's a time when you, it's a challenge, isn't it? These two little boys were talking one day about how great their parents were and how they took such good care of them. The one little boy said, my dad works long hours, sometimes 12 hours a day, and he just makes sure he provides for his family. And my mom goes to work and then she comes home and takes care of all of us, including my dad. And they're such wonderful people and they just take such good care of us and we have such a wonderful home. And I'm worried about them and I'm, I'm worried about all of this. And the other little boy said, well, what do you got to worry about? You got it made. And he said, that's what I'm worried about. I'm afraid they'll realize what they're doing and try to escape. If you, if you type in on Google, what is the good life? You'll get all kinds of stuff. Psychiatry and all kinds of things. But I found a thing by a guy by the name of Jeff Goins, who is a writer and a blogger. And uh, the title of his article was Five Secrets to Living the Good Life. Secret number one, it's not just about you. Secret number two, passion is not optional. Secret number three, just because it's hard doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Secret number four, fear is your friend. And secret number five, values are better than goals. According to Jeff Goins, these are the secrets of really living. It's not about you. Passion is not an option. You need to be passionate about life. Just because it's hard doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Fear is your friend. Everybody's afraid of something. You've got to learn to fight through it, don't you? Values are better than goals. Our values always need to come before our goals, don't they? Well, what, that's what Jeff said about uh, living the good life. But what did Paul say about living the good life? Look at verse 8 of chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians. He says, Now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. Now Paul, think about this with me, he had unselfishly with passion through hardship and fear and because of his eternal values taken the gospel message to the Thessalonians. And now he wanted to know that his spiritual children were standing firm and continuing in the Lord. And that's what made him really live the good life. That's what excited him. So what does really living involve for us as Christians when we, we think about this time of year and man alive, it gets so busy and crazy. And did any of y'all go to Walmart on Thursday, on uh, Thursday last night, uh, last Thursday after Thanksgiving during the evening? And I went in one side and out the other, running. It was bad. I heard, I heard some words in there, but they weren't praise the Lord or thank you, Jesus. I mean, it's a crazy world that we live in. So how do we as Christians keep life in perspective and, and really live? Paul said to really live, you've got to really care. Really living is really caring. If you look in chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, Therefore, now Paul is... He has been waiting. He wants to see them and he's been hindered and he hasn't been able to see them. And so he says, therefore, when we can endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left, at left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. 
the church at Thessalonica was born out of affliction. It was born, and, and he, they warned them about this, that, that they were going to face difficult times. But they kept going and continued to go. And in verse 4 it says, For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know, for this reason, when I could endure it no longer. I couldn't wait any longer, he said. I also sent to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Paul said, really living for me means really caring about God's people. It means really caring about those who've trusted in him that they not only start, but they finish well, that they keep going. And so he says, I was concerned about you. And verse one goes back to chapter two and verse 20. He says, you are our glory and joy. What was it that brought glory and joy to the life of Paul or to the life of a missionary or to the life of a soul winner, to the, to the life of people who care about others? It's, it's, it's those people who are our joy and our glory. It's like Paul is talking about them like they're his children. And you remember going to see your children's first things, their first performances. I remember the first piano recital we went to and our little girl, our, our oldest care, she was playing her first piano in front of everybody and she plucked it out, you know. We were so proud. You know, she could have been Beethoven as far as we were concerned until another little girl. And please don't take this wrong, but I'm telling you the truth. A little Asian girl got up there and played like she was Beethoven. And I thought, well, I need to turn my daughter over to those parents. They, they know how to get the best out of them. But I was so proud. We were so proud and Paul said, these people who've been born in the kingdom, they're my joy, they're my glory. And I want to know that they're doing well. In verse 2, he says, I sent Timothy, a trusted pastor and teacher, because I wanted him to strengthen you and encourage you. The King James says, I wanted him to establish you and comfort you. They needed a footing to stand on. They needed a place where whatever happened, you know, Jesus talked about building on the rock and he wanted them to be founded on that rock so that when these afflictions came, they wouldn't be blown away. Uh, following Christ calls for discipleship for all of us. And I want to ask you a question this morning. How are you doing as far as being discipled? Are you, are you continuing to be discipled? You know, he was, he was trying to tell them, hey, if you're going to stand up, I, I'm sending Timothy to help you to continue this process to be strengthened in your faith. I hope you're discipling yourself through reading God's Word and praying daily. But more than that, you really need to be in a group of people to help you. And of course, we have groups that meet here every Sunday morning, not, not just for Bible study, but for fellowship and accountability and to be there for one another. All those things are very, very, very important. And Paul said, that's why I sent Timothy. I, want, I wanted you to be uh, established. I wanted you to be strengthened and encouraged and continue to do that. I'm telling you, and I'm telling myself, I have to remind myself of this, but if, that if I am not and you are not continually growing in discipleship, we're going backwards. And we make ourselves susceptible to the enemy. So be careful about that. And then in verse 3 he says, when we're strong and we're full of the courage of faith, afflictions will not disturb us to the point of making us fall back. Uh, the word literally means to deceive. Uh, it's also translated to be unsettled or to lose heart. 
He says that when we're grounded in our faith, that we can use afflictions as a springboard to, to greater growth in grace. And that's what they were doing. And in verse 4, Paul said, we didn't tell you this was going to be easy. We didn't paint a rosy picture for you. We, we knew that as soon as you came to know Christ, there was going to be afflictions. As a matter of fact, Paul and his bunch were running from town to town away from the angry Jews who were always after them. So they would go to one place, win people to Christ, start a church. Then they would go to another place. But these angry Jews were after them, were hot in hot pursuit of them everywhere they went. And Paul and Silas and Timothy said to them, hey, it's not going to be any different from you. For you, once you begin to follow him, this is not going to be a cakewalk. You better just get ready. Uh, Wearsby said, the trials and testings that come to our lives as Christians are not accidents. They are appointments. Think about that. The trials and testings that come to our lives as Christians are not accidents. They are appointments. Did you know that nothing could ever happen to you or to me that God did not know about before the foundation of the world? It may surprise us and, and take us back and, and rock our world and, and even just knock the chocks out from under us, but God knew about it and He still knows about it. And, and we've got, the Bible says it's appointed unto men once to die and after that the judgment. We're all going to keep that appointment. But we also have a, appointments with these bumps in the road and sometimes these major collisions in life that if, if we're not standing firm and we don't have strength in God, it'll overwhelm us. And so he says, we try to tell you that this wasn't going to be a cakewalk. And in verse 5, listen to this, the tempter cannot rob us of salvation, but he can rob us of our zeal and effectiveness through trials and discouragement. When, when we get discouraged by trials and tribulations and afflictions, and we begin to question God and Listen, there's nothing wrong with that. When you go through difficulty and you begin to question, you wonder why. There's nothing wrong with being totally honest with God. Read the Psalms. David was honest with God. Read the book of Job. Job was honest with God. He didn't understand what was going on. There's nothing wrong with doing that as long as you continue to work through your questions and talk it out with God and in His Word. Because if you, if you continue in that rut then you lose your zeal and your effectiveness for the rest of whatever life God has given you. And when that happens, Satan gets the victory because you're on the shelf. You're not productive. You're not fruitful. In verse 5, look there what he says. When I could endure it no longer, I sent Timothy for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. He, was, he didn't mean that their salvation would be lost. He meant that their fruit-bearing would be lost. That their effectiveness as a church would be lost. Have you ever driven by out in the country and you've seen an old farmhouse and perhaps there's an old barn behind it, but nobody's lived there for a while and it hadn't been painted, of course, and the weeds and the old trees and brush have grown up around it and you see that and you, you, you picture in your mind, you know, there was a day, there was a day in time when that house was full and... There were productive people living there and there was a family and there was laughter and there were good times and bad times. And in that barn, there were animals and there was the joy of work and the, the sweat of the brow. And at one time, there were people there and there was joy there. But although they're still standing, they are no longer filled and no longer fruitful. And if we don't do maintenance 
in our own heart, in our own lives, then we become like that old house and that old barn, just something that used to be effective at one time, but it isn't any longer. Paul said, I didn't want that for you. And so I really cared and I was really concerned. And that's why I sent Timothy to help you to continue to be established in your faith. But secondly, he said, not only did I really care, um, I, I wanted you to, to be really conquerors. Really conquering is really living. Look at verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us, just as we also long to see you. For this reason, reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. In verse 6 he says, I got good news. Your faith is strong. There was comfort in that. There was joy in that. And knowing that not only that they were doing well, but they wanted to see Him just as much as He wanted to see them. That they, they had a love and a depth of affection for Him. You know what? Um, I don't even know the name of the guy who led me to faith in Christ, but I can't wait to see Him one of these days in heaven and give Him a hug for about a thousand years. After all, there won't be any time there anyway. So... But what a joy to know that they still loved him because he brought to them the message of life and hope. And it was a mutual feeling. And in verse 7, he talked about their distress and their affliction. He said, I was in Athens. You remember what happened to Paul in Athens? He sent the rest of his team on ahead and he got stuck there by himself. Now, just imagine... Just imagine getting stuck in the middle of a city, a foreign city, a foreign place, all by yourself, with no car, no GPS, no iPhone, nothing like that. You couldn't even call Sarah and get her to connect you to anybody. You know, if it's those of you who know what I'm talking about, it, no party lines even, none of that, nothing. You're there by yourself. And the Bible says that Paul was provoked in the spirit because these false gods were everywhere. And the, the worship was, was just a sickening kind of worship in that place because they worshiped idols and they were... It's a, it's a lot like, folks, listen, to be honest, it's a lot like what is going on around us. I mean, all these uh, sex scandals and all this stuff that's going on in our world and the hypocrisy that goes with all of that and... Paul is sitting there and he's looking at all this false gods. He's looking at all this vice and perversion around him and he's just provoked. And you remember that he preached a sermon to those people about an unknown God. And they called him a seed picker, a babbler. But you know, a few of them did believe. But some of, a lot of them just said, I ah, will hear you again about that when he started talking about being raised from the dead. But Paul, so think about yourself and think about Paul. He's there in that very, very lonely and desolate place. And when he gets word back from Timothy, it's like fresh air has filled his lungs. Now we really live knowing that you stand firm in your faith. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. In verse 8, he says, we really live. You know, the church at Thessalonica was a healthy church. It didn't mean they didn't have their problems. But how do we know they were healthy? Well, we know they were healthy because they were spreading the gospel. 
You look back in chapter 1 and we find out that not only were they telling their town about it, but they were telling other towns and spreading it out as far as they could. Kind of like the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. We're trying to spread the gospel as far as we can through praying and giving to missionaries. But they were making sure that the Word of God got out. Secondly, we know that there were a healthy church because when affliction came, they didn't quit. They kept right on going and loving God and serving Him and following Him. And they just took it as part of life. And so we know that there were a healthy church because of that. And so Paul got this new life. Another translation says, when I heard that, it brought me new life. It was like being, you know, when we were kids, I learned to swim in the creek. And uh, one day we went down there to swim in the creek. There was a nice little clear hole down there in the creek. It was a rock creek. And so it was just a pretty place to go swimming uh, if you didn't get caught. But anyway, we were down there and uh, we jumped in one side. Two snakes crawled up the other side. So it didn't take us long to get out there. We had a very short swim that day. But you know how you challenge one another, see how long you can go under and hold your breath and all that stuff. And so then you finally come up and, oh, it is such a sweet thing to get that fresh, wonderful air into your lungs that have been so hungry for it. Well, that's kind of the picture of Paul here. He's been worried about his children. He's concerned about them. And boy, when he finds out they're doing well, ah, it's like a gasp of, of fresh, wonderful air into his lung. It brings him new life. You see, he's in a place of discouragement and, and depravity and darkness, and yet he knows that God is still at work. And if you look back in Acts chapter 18, I can show you a place here where Paul is really, <clears throat> he's really using this springboard of news from the Thessalonians to continue to carry the gospel. Um, if you look down in verse 8 of Acts chapter 18, it says, um, well, if you go back to verse 5, it says that they came down from Macedonia. Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when they resisted and blasphemed, he went to the Gentiles, it says in verse 6. In verse 7, he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justice, a worshiper of God whose house was next to the synagogue. Now, look at verse 8. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord. That's a big step. The leader of the synagogue believed in the Lord Jesus with all his household and many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, remember this, where is he? He's come from Athens, a place of discouragement. He's come from worry about his children in Thessalonica. He's gotten good news. He's picked up and gone on and continued to spread the good news. And now... This vision comes to him in the night and says, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. And he settled there a year and six months, teaching the Word of God among them. Did you know that the Thessalonians had a part in that? They had a part in propelling him forward when he got that breath of fresh air when he got that fresh sense of joy in his heart and his lungs, he went down and people start, kept getting saved. And the vision came and said, don't be afraid anymore. I've got a lot of people in this city. I don't know whose life you're affecting like that, but I hope we all 
have some people somewhere along the way that can say, hey, you encouraged me. Because, you know, even Paul himself, the great apostle, needed to be encouraged. And he was. I remember running into a man when I was a freshman at University of Texas in Arlington. And I ran into this guy and he was handing out these flyers and inviting people to a meeting, a Christian meeting. Well, I had really just gotten, uh, gotten going on my walk with Jesus and trying to learn how to relate to him. And so I struck up a friendship with this guy and uh, became part of his group and discipleship. But his name was Bob, and I don't even remember his last name. But I had a, I had a clown suit that I had worn for a play in high school. And I don't know why I kept it. Somebody made it for me. I figured I might as well hang on to it, I guess. And Anyway, he was going to promote this event that we were having for the whole campus. And so he puts on this clown suit and he paints up his face and he stands in the middle of the UTA campus holding up these flyers and balloons inviting people to come. And I'm looking at this guy and I'm thinking... He must really be committed to what he's doing to stand in the middle of campus and do that. And he handed out flyers. Of course, some people just wadded them up and threw them down. But there were people who came and there were people who were saved. And he invited me and some other students into his home. And I'll never forget it, showing up to his home on that night and his little kids being there. And they were eating spaghetti. They were trying to hurry up and eat so he could disciple me and this other young college student. And he came to the door with spaghetti sauce on his mouth. You know, he says, y'all come on in, you know. And he took me into his home. He didn't know me. But whatever I did, whatever I have done, and whatever I will do for the rest of my life, Bob will be a part of that because he helped me along the way. You see how this connects for all of us? When we, when we really care and we, we're really concerned and we're really learn to conquer, but we do that together. Even Paul learned that's how it was. And then I want you to notice one more thing. Not only was he really caring, he said, this is what makes me live. I really care and I see you really conquering and that's exciting and really continuing is really, really important. Verses 9 and 10. For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account? What brings joy to life? Well, for Paul, and I think for all of us as Christians, is, is the joy of seeing the advance of the gospel and the growth of God's people. For all the joy with which we rejoice before God on your account, as we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. Verse 9 is just an affirmation that this was a God thing. This, was a, this wasn't just somebody going through motions. This was... I mean, God had His hand on this. And it was an amazing thing. Like a proud father whose child is doing well, Paul said, this brings me such joy. This is so wonderful. And then in, in verse 10, he says, I'm praying for you. But he didn't, say, he didn't just say, I'm praying for you. He didn't just say, I'm saying my prayers for you. He said, I'm praying earnestly for you. I'm pouring my heart out to God for you. Think about that little phrase, that little phrase with me for a moment. I am praying earnestly for you. When you pray, do you pray earnestly? 
And we say, well, pastor, sometimes it depends on the circumstances. Sometimes it depends on the pressures of life. Sometimes it depends on whether things are good or bad. Sometimes it just depends on if, if Christmas is killing me dead and I just need a break. I don't know. But Paul prayed earnestly for them. And, and he said, I'm praying for you that I can come back to you so that I can complete what is lacking in your faith. Another translation is so that I can mend and make good, so that I can fill the gaps, so that I can supply what is lacking. The King James says, perfect. Uh, the word is the word that was used in New Testament times for mending the nets. You know, fishermen had nets and they got holes in them and they had to be mended. All of us have some gaps and holes in our faith, don't we? Do you have any? I got a bunch of them. I, you know, the more I read God's Word and I pray, the more I see these holes and these gaps that need to be filled and mended and helped. And you know what? I've got places that have been mended before that God has to come along and say, you've broken it here again and I've got to fix it, put it back together and sew it back together again. But, but Paul says, that's my job. That's our job to help mend one another and to fill those gaps, those holes in our lives. To... Uh, you know, the, the Scripture says that we're to grow up to all the fullness of Christ. The goal for us as individuals is the fullness of Jesus Christ to fill the gaps and the holes in our lives. But it is also the goal for us as a church, amen, that not only that we're filling our own gaps, but we're filling one another's gaps. And we are together, we make a great net to, to be useful and fruitful for the kingdom of God, to bring in the catch for the kingdom what a, great, uh, what a great picture that is for us as Paul uh, shares that with us. So what is lacking in your faith? What are the holes and the gaps that are there? You say, well, I'd have to think about it. Well, you're right, you would. But maybe this week would be a good time when you sit down for your devotional and you look at God's Word and you allow God to look into your heart and just say to Him, hey, where are those holes and those gaps that need to be filled up? It can be a little scary. But the good news is, we've got a great net mender, don't we? In the Lord Jesus Christ. And He can fix those places and fill those gaps and help us with our lives and our effectiveness. Verse 13. Look at verse 13. Did you know that there's no, uh, there's no dress rehearsal in life? You know that, don't you? Look at verse 13. He says, this is all we have. And he's praying for them. And he says, so that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. And at the end of that third chapter, as he does in every chapter, he mentions this second coming, as Natalie talked about with the kiddos. This second coming. He said, here is my goal and here is God's goal for you. And there he uses that word again, to establish, to, to give you firm footing, to establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God. What a, what a goal that is. When you get to heaven, get there with your nets mended by the grace of God and the glory of Christ. And say, I wasn't perfect. I had some holes and gaps in my net. But as best as I could, Lord, I surrendered myself to you like a net surrenders itself to the fisherman. Amen?
You see, I heard a, I read a story about a, the Sleepy Hollow Cemetery. Wouldn't you love to go there? It's in Concord, Massachusetts. You'll need to hurry if you'll get back by evening worship. The Sleepy Hollow Cemetery. In that cemetery is the grave of a man named Ezra Ripley. We don't know who he was or what he did, but on his tombstone is written these words. He came of a long line of pilgrim ancestors and Concord ministers, and he was worthy of his lineage. Oh, wow. Would that we could have that put on our own tombstones in truth. Amen? Worthy of our lineage. That's what Paul said. He said, you're my joy. You are my glory. When I hear you're standing firm, I'm really, really living. When we really care, when we really conquer through the difficulties and allow God to mend our nets, when we really continue until that day when that trumpet sounds or that day when the funeral notice goes out for you or for me. We can hear the well done. So today, would you join me in saying, Lord, here's my net. You know where the holes are. You know where it needs work. But here I am. Use me. Cast my net for your glory and for your honor. Let's pray together. Father, we humble ourselves before you. Thank you for this passage. Thank you for the, the hope that is ours in Christ. Help us, Lord, in this season to think about what Paul says. Now we really live when we hear that the children of God are standing firm in their faith. So in the middle of our busyness, help us to stand firm to conquer, to continue to be what You've called us to be. I pray today that if there's a man or woman or boy or girl who needs to come and, and just say, I'm giving my life to Jesus, or I have given my life to Jesus, but I haven't followed Him yet in baptism and church membership, and I want to do that. Lord, give them the courage to come today. To listen to what the vision said to Paul. Don't be afraid. How many times do you repeat that in your word? Don't be afraid. And I pray for all of us. We've all got a few holes in the net. So today, Lord, if we need to come and, and just uh, recommit ourselves to placing our lives, our nets at Your disposal, help us to do that, even in the middle of all of our busyness. Maybe someone is, would say, I've prayed about it. I believe this is where God wants me. I want to come and place my membership here. Or maybe someone just needs to pray with somebody because they have a need or maybe Christmas time is a difficult time. They just need somebody to pray with and that would be a privilege. But bless this time of invitation and use it for your honor and glory for we pray in Jesus' name. Would you stand and as you stand today, would you come? In Christ alone my hope is found He is my light, my strength, my song This cornerstone, this solid ground
share with you a couple of things. Um, Lou Howard, Gano's wife, has been really ill, and she's in ICU up in Baylor in Dallas, and she had taken a bad turn, but I just got a note that she's getting a little better, so we're thankful to hear that, and we want to continue to remember them, yes, in prayer. And then also, uh, this week, uh, Tiger Russell found out... Pretty sure, yeah, that we that he has ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, and so he really needs our prayers, and we want to continue remembering them prayers. As a matter of fact, if a couple of you guys would go over and just lay your hands on 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 him, and I'd like to lead us in prayer for these needs today um, before we go. All right, let's bow together for prayer. And then if you're our guest today, again, we're, we're glad you're here. And if you'll meet me back at the welcome table, just love to meet you and got a little something for you back there. Let's, let's bow for prayer. Father, we just humble ourselves and we thank you for the privilege of being part of the family. And as a family, we rejoice together and we hurt together and we pray together and uh, we lift up those needs that are urgent together. So I pray especially for Lou and for Gano. I pray for your healing hand. I pray for your will and I pray for your direction and, and guidance and wisdom for those who uh, doctor them and nurse them and treat them. We ask your blessings on that family and uh, thank you for what they mean to us. And I pray for Tiger and for Susan as she stands by his side. Lord, bless him today. We know what he has heard from the doctors, but we know that you're the great physician. And if it could be your will, Lord, we pray for his healing. And we pray that you would uh, just strengthen him, as your word says, strengthen him by your power in his inner man, that he might daily face this with uh, courage and with the sense of your power and your strength and your peace. And 
We just lift him and Susan to you. Thank you for this time to worship together this morning. Thank you for this season of hope. Now bless us as we are dismissed. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Austin. Amen. Let's join hands and we're going to, over the next few weeks, we're going to learn this little chorus, We Wait in Hope. We wait in hope for the morning light, for the love of Christ to illuminate the night. We wait with joy for the Savior's birth. We wait in hope for peace on earth. Peace on earth. Amen. You're dismissed. Yeah.
爱输。